Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, book lovers. Want to hear a story? Welcome back to Storytime with M. This is a mini episode from M's Books and Cats podcast, where currently I am sharing my book, The Last Witch, with you a chapter a week, and this week is chapter six. Enjoy. The next morning, I officially met Evelyn. She was a sweet girl, though extremely spoiled. Both Blade and his mother gave in to her every whim, and it was quickly apparent that she disliked anyone new joining their cozy group. She stayed close to Blade while I was introduced. Mrs. Connor fled the room soon after my arrival, stopping long enough to take my hand and welcome me before disappearing into the kitchen. The smell of fresh-baked cinnamon buns wafted through the air and made my mouth water. Evelyn watched me silently, and I waited for her to tell Blade of our previous encounter in the woods. She did not speak, but suddenly began crying and screaming at the top of her lungs. Blade and I both jumped at the sudden change, and he hurried to lift her up and cuddle her, stroking her smooth hair and speaking soothingly to her. When he asked her what was wrong, she raised a small, pudgy finger and pointed at me. She's a witch. She's going to steal me when I'm asleep and make soup from my bones. Blade smiled at me over her head while he explained that I was not a witch. Evelyn did not look convinced and eyed me warily. I wondered what had happened to the sugar-sweet girl I'd met before, and decided that maybe Evelyn had not slept well again, and it would be best to leave her alone. Mrs. Connor entered the room, carrying a tray laden with the biggest cinnamon buns I had ever seen. They were dripping with frosting and sprinkled lightly with brown sugar. She placed the tray before us, serving the first beautiful bun to Evelyn, who took a big bite, chewed thoughtfully, and opened her mouth to show me. Evelyn, honey, please, don't be rude to our guest. Mrs. Connor's voice was hesitant, her words hung in the silence that followed. Evelyn glared at her mother, took another big bite, and repeated her lovely performance. Blade gave her a sharp look, and her mouth snapped shut. She chewed sullenly before flinging the rest of her cinnamon bun across the room. It hit the wall with a soft thud and stuck there, defying gravity through the sheer will of its delicious, sticky frosting. Mrs. Connor said nothing. She did not punish Evelyn for what she had done, but silently pulled the bun off the wall and scraped away the icing from the pale yellow paint. Blade was looking at his hands clenched in his lap. His knuckles were white and his hands shook. Mrs. Connor quietly left, airing the remains of her masterpiece and Evelyn reached for another sticky bun. She sat happily eating and humming to herself while Blade and I watched her. She took no notice of us, and I saw a look of panic cross Blade's face. After some time, she turned her sticky face to me and offered the plate. Cinnamon bun? She grinned, looking more like the precocious little girl from the forest. I took one and tentatively bit into it. The wonderful flavor was overshadowed by the girl's face. She was still smiling, with sweetness oozing from her very being but in her eyes was an unmistakable look of hatred. Blade took a cinnamon bun, and we began chatting as if nothing had happened. He seemed embarrassed and eager to please his sister. He told her jokes that made her giggle uncontrollably. I smiled, seeing him be so kind and gentle with her, and Evelyn, seeing this, cut her laughter short. Silence filled the house, a heavy silence that caused Mrs. Connor to enter quickly from the kitchen. Seeing that everyone was fine, she exited just as quickly and we could hear the sound of a spoon rattling against a pan as she worked on her next culinary masterpiece. Evelyn gave me a haughty look, then announced, 
I want to play Sweet Adventure. Sweet Adventure was a boring board game designed for small children still learning their colors and unable to deal with the complexities of a game with dice. I had loved that game as a little girl. It was one of the only things I remembered from my childhood, before I came to live with Valencia. I remembered sitting on my mother's lap, her hair tickling my cheek as she leaned forward to move her brightly colored game piece. I remember the sense of joy I got when I pulled one of the special cards, the cards with different characters on them instead of just a color. I smiled at Evelyn's childlike desire, and I was about to offer to join her in a game when Blade shook his head. Not today, Evelyn. His voice was soft. Evelyn pouted briefly, crossing her arms and sticking out her lower lip as far as it would go. I smiled at her again. Maybe some other time, Evelyn. She dropped her arms and grinned happily. Okay, I want a story instead. Blade sighed. Not right now, Evie. I'll tell you a story later after Casey goes home. We were going to go explore the woods some more. I'll bring you back some wild strawberries. Evelyn pouted again and began slamming her tiny fists into her lap. No, I want a story. I want a story now. Blade threw his hands in the air. Fine, I'll tell you one story, and then Casey and I are leaving. No, Mommy needs to tell the story. I want my special story. No, Evie, not today. Casey doesn't want to hear the special story. I wouldn't mind, I offered. Blade shot me an irritated look while Evelyn began jumping up and down. Story, story, story. He gave Evelyn a strange, warning glance, to which she smiled sweetly and continued jumping. He looked at me. I'll be right back. He slowly exited the room, turning to give us one last worried look before entering the kitchen. Evelyn immediately stopped jumping. The smile vanished, and she came right up to me and stood with her tiny, angry face just inches from my own. My brother likes you, but I don't. I know what you are. And I have something to tell you. Blade isn't what you think he is. So leave him alone. She spit in my face, then hurried back to her seat as Blade and Mrs. Connor entered the room. I wiped the spit from my cheek. Mrs. Connor didn't see it. Her eyes were fixed solidly on the floor as she moved slowly toward us. She seemed afraid, as if she was going before a firing squad. The woman was absolutely terrified to tell her little girl a story. Blade saw the spit, and I saw him shoot a look at Evelyn, lifting his eyebrows and giving her a serious stare. She smiled innocently back and clasped her hands in her lap. Mrs. Connor sat down slowly, her eyes lifted slightly just landing on my face before quickly dropping back to the floor. She stiffened as Evelyn crawled into her lap. She held her daughter awkwardly, as if unused to such displays of affection. Evelyn did not seem to notice her mother's discomfort and looked up sweetly. I want to hear the special story, Mama. My favorite story. Mrs. Connor sighed. All right, Evie, I'll tell the special story. Although I hope Casey can forgive me if she does not enjoy it as much as you do. She gave me a sad, apologetic look and I assured her that I would enjoy hearing the story. I doubt that, but here goes. Once upon a time, there was a powerful but lonely man named Bentley Dale. He lived not far from here and was the wealthiest man in town. His wife and children had died of a terrible sickness many years before, and he lived a solitary life in his great house atop the highest hill. During one of his rare trips into town, he met a beautiful young woman. She had just arrived from a strange country far beyond the borders of the town, and was looking for a place to stay. He fell desperately in love with her. He offered her a room in his grand house, and she accepted. He was the happiest he had ever been, and the townspeople were happy for him, as well as for themselves, for he became more social and brought his new love to town often to spend exorbitant amounts of money in the local shops. 
The town was growing rich, and they praised the arrival of the strange young woman. After some time, the townspeople began to notice peculiar things. Strange colored lights would fill the sky around the great house on the hill. Heavy smokes emanated from the chimneys and would hang over the town for days before dissipating. The most disturbing of all were the strange people that began to visit the house in the middle of the night. The townspeople began locking their doors, and several of the men would stand guard each night as the odd and often disfigured beings drifted past their homes and up the hill. No one ever saw them leave, and rumors began to spread that Bentley's new love was a witch. Just like your grandma, Casey, Evelyn interjected. Blade shot Evelyn an angry look, but Mrs. Connor just sighed and continued. Bentley vanished. He was never seen in town again. Months passed, and the townspeople were convinced that he had been killed by one of the witch's strange visitors. They gathered one afternoon for a town meeting and decided to drive this odd woman and any of her strange friends that remained away from their town. They wanted to feel safe again, and many of their businesses were suffering because fear kept people in their homes. The mob armed themselves with torches and knives and pitchforks and guns, anything they could find, and they ascended the hill as night fell. The night was still and dark. The moon was hiding, and the light from the torches made strange shadows. Some turned back, returning to their homes and locking their doors behind them. But many continued up to the house. They broke down the door and rushed in. The house was dark, and in their terror, they began slashing and killing anything in their path. Bentley rushed forth to stop them and was quickly cut down. Many townspeople also died, mistakenly attacked by a friend or neighbor. Their blind slaughter continued until two things stopped them in their tracks. The first was the sound of a high, terrible laughter. The townspeople that rushed outside saw the strange woman flying through the sky without even the aid of a broom and disappearing into the night. The second sound was a child crying. Inside the great house, bent over the body of Bentley Dale, was a small girl. She looked at the townspeople, her eyes filling with tears and rage, and she began screaming. The sound was unearthly, shattering windows and driving the people out of the house and back into their homes. Even behind locked doors, they couldn't escape the sound, and it continued for days before finally ceasing. The townspeople emerged tentatively from their homes and looked up the hill. The house was burning. The raging inferno consumed the building in minutes, leaving nothing but a pile of ash. The child walked down into the town, scattering people as she passed, and was never seen there again. Those who saw her past lost their sight. She was said to be the product of the witch woman and one of the dark, misshapen men that had often visited the house. Stories of the child's dark and evil manner ran rampant through the town. Other tales soon emerged, implicating the witch and the child in the theft of the rare and most valuable of Bentley's possessions. During the mad attack on Bentley and his home, thieves had attempted to find the treasure, a collection of bright-colored jewels from the Nakai Desert. They were rumored to possess a powerful magic. Bentleydale had acquired them during one of his trips to the Naran region, and had displayed them for the entire town to see after his return. Those that saw the jewels of Nakai could never banish the thought of them from their minds, and some became obsessed. After a few attempts had been made to steal them, Bentley hid them in a vault deep within the mansion, and they were never seen by the townspeople again. Stories of the jewels surfaced after the child's departure. She was seen accompanied by the witch, carrying a golden bag. Many had attempted to steal that beautiful bag, but the jewels that lay inside drove them mad. The duo made their way across the country, 
followed by tales of their great powers and evil possessions. The witch carried only a large book, bound in some kind of hide. It was said to contain a piece of Bentley Dale's soul, and would speak to the people that were curious enough to touch it. It spoke in Bentley's voice, and bore the name he had been called in his childhood, Dumavine. The witch and the child brought pain and misery to every place they visited, and were soon considered a threat to the safety of good, common people. They were hunted and driven away from every town they approached, and soon vanished from daily life, leaving behind only the tale of the downfall of Bentley Dale. Mrs. Connor fell silent, and Evelyn applauded. I sat in a state of shock upon hearing the name of the book, the same one in Valencia's library, the one that opened the passage to the hidden room. I could feel Blade's eyes on me, but I couldn't look at him. Doubts were creeping into my mind, and I just wanted to go home and think. Evelyn stood in front of me, her hands on her hips, and smiling. Did you like the story? I nodded. It's my favorite. Do you know why? I shook my head. I still did not trust my voice. Evelyn smiled wider. Because the witch got what she deserved in the end. All witches should be hunted and forced into hiding. Even your grandma. I sat mutely as she skipped out of the room. Mrs. Connor sighed heavily, and without looking at me or apologizing for her daughter's behavior, stood and went quickly back into the kitchen. Blade and I sat in silence. I kept my eyes on my hands, which were clasped tightly in my lap, but I knew he was staring at me. The silence became uncomfortable. From the floor above, I could hear Evelyn singing. Finally, I stood up. I need to go. I don't feel very well. I hope Evelyn didn't upset you. She can be kind of a pain sometimes. Mom's not a very good disciplinarian, and Evie only listens to me when she feels like it. She can be kind of mean. I wouldn't worry about what she said about your grandma. She gets carried away with that story. I don't know why it's her favorite. Blade's voice was gentle and apologetic. He kissed me lightly before I left and offered to walk me home. I declined and started up the drive. I could feel him watching me until I rounded the corner. Even after I was out of sight, I had the feeling he was still watching, and I ran the rest of the way to the house. When I got home, I locked myself in my room and cried. I didn't speak to Valencia. She only came to my room once to ask me if I was okay, and then left me alone. I heard her go back to the secret room, where she stayed for a long time. I had always wondered what she did there, but now my curiosity would not be silenced, and I tiptoed into the library. The book was in its usual place, but I hesitated before touching it. The name Dumavine was all my eyes could see. As I stared at the letters, they grew dark and began to shift and change shape. Two eyes stared back at me from the spine of the book, and I stumbled backward. They watched me, blinking occasionally, but nothing else happened. As I reached again for the book, I heard the soft click of the secret door, and I hurried from the room. Getting the book was going to be more difficult than I had anticipated. Valencia was more guarded than usual. We ate lunch in silence. I could tell she wanted to ask me about my visit to Blade's house, but was waiting to see what I would offer up on my own. I focused on eating as quickly as possible and left the table as soon as I was finished. I went out into the warm afternoon sunshine. Summer was almost over and school would soon begin. Already the first leaves were beginning to change, and little patches of red peeked out from amidst the green. I walked around the house past the jetting additions and into the backyard. The maze rose up before me, taller and more menacing than I remembered. I thought about my trip into it with Blade, and the strange things that had been happening ever since he came into my life. I was suddenly certain that I was being watched, and I looked up in time to see the curtain on the library window fall back into place. I quickly left the backyard, 
ducking into the forest and running through the trees. I didn't think about where I was going. I just ran. All I wanted to do was get as far as possible from the house and Valencia, as if putting a small amount of distance between us could save me from the strange fate she had brought upon me. Without thinking, I veered off the main path and soon found myself at the cave. We hadn't been there in a while, but very little had changed. Some long, mossy strands had fallen over the opening. They hung down from the trees above and rippled in the cold wind that continued to issue forth from the cave. I shivered but moved closer, determined to finally enter its dark depths. The wind blew stronger and howled in my ears, but I pushed back the moss and stepped inside. The darkness surrounded me, and the wind vanished. A heavy silence was all around me, and I barely dared to breathe. I took a few tentative steps. The path went steeply down, far below the earth, and I followed it, moving slowly, shuffling my feet, and keeping one hand on the wall. It grew colder the deeper I went, but the darkness was lessened by the dim outline of a door. Thin lines of light cut through the blackness. I ran my hand over it. The door was ragged and warped. The wood was old and swollen from the dampness of the tunnel, and it was rented with holes from thousands of hungry insects. My hands found the doorknob, but I hesitated, feeling the rusty metal under my fingers and afraid of what was on the other side. I turned the knob slowly, and there was a loud click that echoed off the walls of the tunnel and made me jump. I waited. There was no sound from the other side, and slowly... I pushed the door open. The smell was the first thing I noticed. It was the sweet smell of rot mixed with a strange metallic scent that seemed familiar, but that I couldn't quite place. It was so strong that I staggered back, pulling the door shut behind me. My stomach heaved, and several minutes passed before I could make myself open the door again. I pulled my shirt up over my mouth and nose, as if a layer of cotton could keep the smell at bay. I held my breath and opened the door. The room was really more of a cavern cut into the earth. The walls were smooth dirt and rock and oozed a thick green slime. A small fireplace had been carved into one of the walls, and a fire burned within it, producing no smoke or heat, only light. It was the source of the light I had seen in the tunnel. Near the fireplace was a long table. I approached it cautiously, fearing this piece of furniture more than anything I had encountered before. The table had four straps, one attached at each corner. The surface was scored with the strokes of many knives and stained with a dark liquid, which, in the dim light, I could only assume was blood. I felt my stomach heave again, but I cupped my hand in front of my face and caught the vomit before it hit the ground. I didn't want to leave any trace of my presence. Grimacing, I shoved my hands into the pockets of my skirt and cleaned them the best I could. I turned away from the table and began to examine the walls. All around the room were pictures, thousands of them, all of young women or girls, each one smiling happily and holding a small compass. In each picture, the compass needle was pointing south instead of north. The one furthest from the light of the fire caught my eye, and I knelt before it, squinting in the dim light. The girl looked like me, only slightly older. She wasn't grinning like the others, but looked solemnly off to one side. I knew immediately that I was looking at a picture of my mother. Memories came flooding back, and I could suddenly remember every detail of her face. The picture had been folded in half before being hung up with the others, and I carefully removed the nail and unfolded it. There was a dark and handsome man beside her. It was not my father. His skin was a tawny brown, and his eyes just a shade darker. His teeth were straight and white, and he smiled widely at my mother. There was something about his smile that didn't seem right. The happiness reflected in his expression was not present in his eyes. They were cold and angry, a stark contrast to his overall demeanor. 
And there was something in my mother's face as well, hidden just below the surface. It was a kind of sadness mixed with fear. I put the picture and the nail in my pocket and turned to leave. But then I saw the mirror. I don't know if mirror is the right word for the black polished oval that was set into the wall opposite the door, but I could see myself reflected in it. The reflection wasn't accurate. In the mirror, I appeared taller and older, my skin clear and smooth. But my hair had been replaced by a nest of snakes, furiously writhing and biting each other and trying to get at my eyes. My mouth was frozen in a scream, but my eyes were strangely calm. Without knowing why, I raised my hand to touch the smooth stone, but then I froze. Behind my reflection, I could see a place I knew well. It was the clearing where I had watched Blade disappear into the large rock and then encountered Evelyn for the first time. I could see Blade now. He knelt before me. A dissected squirrel lay at his feet, and as he spoke those same chanting words, the mirror began to ripple. I ran for the door, but it wouldn't open. His hands were through the mirror as I darted to the table and ducked behind it. It was shadowy there, and I hoped that I would go unnoticed in the dim light. At Valencia's behest, I had started dressing in all black, looking the part of the witch I was to become. I had thought it was silly when she insisted that I do so, but now I was beginning to understand the usefulness of dressing like a shadow. Blade stepped through the mirror, immediately followed by Evelyn. I ducked lower. The girl made me uneasy. I felt that Blade might forgive me for trespassing, but she would not. As she stepped through, she froze and looked around. What is it? Blade's voice was different, more timid than his usual confident manner. Someone's been here. Evelyn's voice was no longer that of a little girl. It was rough and deep and made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I had never heard a sound quite like it. The only thing I could compare it to was the sound of nails on a chalkboard, only multiplied by a million. It was physically painful to listen to, and I clamped my hands over my ears, though it did little to lessen the pain. Who could have been here? No one knows how to enter the stone. What about your girlfriend? You brought her to the cave, and she's seen you enter the stone. I said I was sorry about that. I didn't know Casey was following me. You haven't been very careful. She didn't come in through the stone. What about the door? The cave is wide open, and you brought her there numerous times. She must have wondered what was in there. But she hated it. She would never go there on her own. She would sense it was a bad place. Besides, the winds wouldn't let her enter without letting us know she'd been here. Perhaps. Winds are tricky. I never know whose side they're on, but soon there won't be a choice. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Come, we have a lot of work to do. I watched Blade build up the fire. Evelyn sat on the table, her little legs swinging just inches from my face. She ordered Blade around in her gruff voice, and he continued to shrink. The fire grew too massive to be contained in the tiny fireplace, and the flames were white hot when Evelyn suddenly jumped down from the table. She had grown and now towered above her diminished brother. As I watched, they joined hands, their flesh melting together, and they jumped into the fire. There was a flash and a shower of sparks, and then they were gone. I jumped up from behind the table. The fire was small again, burning low as it had when I first entered the room. I ran to the door and yanked hard. It flew open without resistance, sending me sprawling onto the ground. I jumped up and ran into the darkness. The wind began to scream, and in it I could hear words, guttural and menacing, calling to them, telling them I was there. I ran as fast as I could. The wind was at my face, pushing me back toward the door, but I fought it. 
The screams grew louder as I neared the opening of the cave. The wind slammed into me with brutal force, and I could see the light of the opening, though it was dim. The mossy trailers had woven themselves together in a tight mesh over the cave's opening, and very little light passed through. I grabbed a small knife that I had tied to my waist, another of Valencia's requirements, and I began to slash at the moss. A brief burst of sunlight came through the gash before it mended itself. I slashed at it again and again, cutting away the new growth until I could thrust my head through the opening. The fresh air gave me new strength, and I forced the rest of my body through. The moss wrapped around my foot as I fell out of the cave, but I quickly cut it away and ran for home. Valencia was waiting at the edge of the forest, chanting and muttering with her hands held high above her. As I burst through the trees and fell into her waiting arms, the winds died down. The screaming ceased, and it was replaced with an eerie silence. Valencia supported me as I stumbled toward the house. My body felt drained, as if another step would sap what little energy I had left, but we made it inside. As she closed and locked the door, I leaned heavily against the wall. My head was throbbing, and little spots of light danced before my eyes. Darkness was beginning to close in around me when Valencia took my arm. What have you done, child? Her voice called me back, and the darkness faded. A little of my strength returned, and I was able, with her assistance, to make it into the hidden room upstairs. Once I was settled onto the couch, she left to make some tea, assuring me that the house was protected by many charms and spells, and that no one would be able to enter. I lay in the dark room, still breathing heavily. My heart pounded uncontrollably, and when the darkness came this time, I surrendered myself to it and fell into a troubled sleep. And that is the end of Chapter 6, Book Lovers. I hope you're still enjoying The Last Witch. I hope you have a beautiful week. Take good care of yourselves. And until next time, keep reading. Media Production.